This morning, the scripture portion is taken from Psalms 19. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 14, found on page 291 of the Bible in front of you. Psalm 19, verse 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of the Lord. Our God, we give you thanks for this morning together. We thank you for this ability to sit under your word and that you have revealed your word to us so that by it we might know ourselves and know you better. We pray now that you would grant us grace and success to both the preaching and the hearing of your word, that both would be done faithfully and well, that we might be drawn to Christ, glorify him, and it would be for our eternal good. Transform us this day, help us, and let us change, and let us leave different than we came in by the transforming power of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I hope that in these weeks as we've been preaching through prayer and as we've been talking week after week about prayer, that this has been an encouragement to you. I hope that you have found yourself along these weeks praying. I hope that we are doing more than talking through it over these weeks, but that you are finding that you are being pushed along and carried along in prayer, that your prayer lives are beginning to take flight. Uh, yesterday was a gorgeous and beautiful day, and so one of the things that we did was we took out the kids and we went flying a kite. Uh, Binu had told me that he got a kite from Walmart for $1.50, and so he had gone with Sarah and the family and that it was a great time. He had me at a buck fifty. I was amazed that we could do that for that cheap, and so we did that. And it was, it, it was sort of the picture of what we were doing is what I sense over these weeks. That as I was running alongside my kids and seeing them trying to get this thing sore with great delight, that's what I pictured that God is doing over these weeks with us. As we're trying so desperately to get our prayer lives up into the air and towards the heavens, each week God is using his word to sort of send another gust of wind to fill our souls and to set our prayer lives uh, afloat and to cause them to soar. And I hope that the Spirit is taking the preached word and carrying them into your hearts and filling your hearts with fresh wind and, and fresh air to lift your prayers so that they soar a bit higher each week. And we have been encouraged as we consider God's work in us in moving us to pray. 
So I hope that today would be another gust of wind into your soul to set your prayer lives a little higher, to cause them to soar uh, a little better this week. As you sit down to pray, and, and if you've done that over these weeks, perhaps that itself has taken a work of God to make that happen, right? Over these weeks, perhaps you find or you carved out a space and a time to pray because as we talked a few weeks ago, maybe you remember that Jesus wants you much more than he wants your work. And we considered the story of Martha and Mary and we said that we need Jesus much more than Jesus needs our work. And if you find that you are still so busy, so frenzied, so harried, so troubled that you have no time or space for prayer, I'd commend that word to you again and ask you to return and repent and ask God to show you that Jesus wants you more than he wants your work, that you need Jesus more than Jesus needs your accomplishments, your stuff, your productivity. So maybe if you found some time and space, then maybe you're helped along as you considered, okay, when we pray, we said, we pray to our Father. Right? We said, Lord, teach us to pray like children, that when we come to God, we come to him like a good father. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 7 and in Luke 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Or in Luke, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And so we said when we come to pray, we can come like children. We can come snot-nosed, messy face, a full mess, and come exactly as we are to a father who delights in us and receives us just as we are. So you come to pray because you've found that space and time to pray. You come to God as a father. And then last week we were even helped and carried along again to remember when you pray. This is not an enterprise you do by yourself. You're not giving a finished product to God and saying, okay, I've said amen, now step in. But rather we said we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the help of the Holy Spirit. We heard Paul say last week in Romans 8, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. And hopefully you were encouraged to remember when you pray, the Spirit is helping you, aligning your heart and your prayers to God's will. And Jesus himself is presenting you and your petitions through his own blood to the Father. And the Father is receiving you and your prayers graciously, ready to respond to them. In all these ways, what an encouragement and help our God has been to us in prayer. He wants us to pray. He helps us to pray. He receives us like children when we do pray. So far then, so good, okay? So now you sit down to pray. You've been carried along by the Spirit. Jesus is going to help. The Father is going to receive you. You're going to come like children. He wants you. What do you say? So you want to pray. You sit down to pray. What are you supposed to pray what words are supposed to come off your tongue? What thoughts are supposed to fill your mind and your heart? I don't know about you, but I have often struggled with sitting down to pray and not knowing what I ought to pray, right? That's what Paul said, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Maybe you've been like me, and at certain points, you've just found yourself sort of tongue-tied, not knowing how to express yourself or what to even say, 
right? Maybe there have been seasons that are so pressing that no one needs to instruct you on what to say. The need is so great that words just sort of flow out of your mouth. Prayer is effortless and easy in those seasons. But if you are trying to cultivate the discipline of prayer, what happens when nothing crazy is going on and you sit down to pray, what are you supposed to say? What words are supposed to come out of your mouth and fill your heart and be birthed in your mind? What are we supposed to pray? Now, I don't want to make this complicated or over-complex. Prayer is simple, right? We're teaching our babies to do it. Little children can pray. Prayer is just communication from you to God. Any kind of communication, journaling, singing, talking, thinking, anything that is God-word from you, from your heart, is prayer. And so we can say anything and everything to God. But what if I told you that even in this, God is ready to help? That even here, God is ready to send you another gust of wind to carry your prayer lives even higher and better. That even here, God is going to help you because God will teach you what to say. And here's what I want to say. God has given you words to pray Because he has given you his word. Let me say that again. God, in giving us his word, has given us words to pray. That we are invited and allowed and able to pray God's word back to God. That we're allowed to pray the scriptures back to God. That when we're stumbling for what we ought to say, we can pray God's word to God. What I want you to hear is that the word that we read can be the word that we pray. Let me say that again. The word that we read can be the word that we pray. Here's why. God is a father who loves to hear his word spoken back to him. He delights in hearing his word from your lips to his ears. He loves to hear his words off your mouth in prayer. In fact, God has graciously bound himself and obligated himself to his word. He is faithful to his word. He will do what his word says. He will never be faithless to his word. So when you bring his word to God, you will always find a yes to your prayers. God delights in hearing his word in prayer. Let me give you an example. It's the difference between a child who says, Dad, can we go out to play? And a child who says, Dad, can we go out to play like you said we could? There's a difference, right? Dad, can we go out to play is different than, Dad, can we go out to play like you said we could? Because in the second, I am binding the Father to fulfill his own word. And the Father is one who delights to have his children bind him, obligate him according to his own promises to us. And so God welcomes us to bring his word to God in prayer. We can carry God's word, carry God's promises to God and ask him to do this because you said this. Because you promised this, so now, Father, do this. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says it like this. Paul says, for all the promises of God find their yes In him, that's in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. Let me say that again. Paul says, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Here's what that means. 
That means when you became a Christian, when you repented of your sins and you trusted in Jesus Christ, when you went from light, from darkness to light and from death to life and from the kingdom of God's enemy to the kingdom of God's son, when you became a Christian, you became a part of God's family, a part of God's people, and all that God had promised for his people now became your promises became your inheritance. You shared in the inheritance of all the good things that God had for his people. And all of these promises and blessings are dropped into your account. So all of God's promises find their yes to you in Jesus. That in Christ, we who are sinful have been brought to God. And the gospel, hear this, the gospel secures for us all of the promises of God towards us. A pastor named John Piper says this much better than I could. He says this, If you belong to Christ by faith, then everything God could possibly give you for your good has been signed over to your account in Christ. So that when you come to Christ, God has dropped all of the promises he has for his people into your account And so you hear the same answer at every point, which is the answer, yes. When you read one passage and you go, is this promise for me? The answer is yes. How about this promise? You come across another one. Is that for me? Yes. How about this blessing? Is that mine? Yes. And the answer is yes, 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 all the time from God for you. In Christ, all his his promises find their yes for us. So that when a sinful person meets God in Christ, what he hears from God is yes to all your questions towards him. Do you love me? Yes. Are you going to be with me? Yes. Are you going to fill my heart with joy? Yes. Are you going to sustain me and give me endurance and give me patience? Yes. Are you going to use me and let me serve you? Yes. Are you going to show me your glory? Yes. All of his promises to us are yes in Christ. And so what prayer is doing, hear this, what prayer is doing is drawing on that account written in your name through Christ and applying the benefits to yourself. You are saying, Lord, you have this for me in Christ, and so I need this. You need to do this because you have bound yourself by your own word for my good. Prayer is not groping in the darkness, hoping that God will cross your fingers, maybe be good to you. Prayer is laying hold of God because of the promises of God written to you in the word of God. And I want you to hear this, the word that we read, being the word that we pray, has been the practice of God's people throughout the ages. This is not new. This is not fresh. This is not inventive or innovative. I am telling you something very very old. And that is that God's people throughout the ages have been taking God's word and allowing God's word to frame and shape and give language and vocabulary and words to the prayers that they pray. That God's people from the beginning have been saying, I'm saying this because you said this. Does that make sense? You said this, and in light of what you said, I'm saying this back to you. That's what prayer is. Prayer is saying, in light of what you've promised, let me say these words back to you. Let me give you some examples throughout the scriptures and throughout the ages of saints who have done this. In the first pages of your Bible, you come to the book of Genesis, and you come to the story of a man named Jacob. 
Jacob's a twin. He's got a, another brother, an older brother named Esau. And Jacob's kind of a rascal, and so he steals his brother's blessings, and now they're at odds. And his brother is the tough, big, you know, wrestler type, and Jacob's now in trouble. Jacob is more the artist type. And so Jacob's on the run, and Esau is after him, right? And now years have separated them for a long time, and now his older mean brother is coming. They're going to cross paths, and Jacob is scared for his life. And here's what Jacob prays in Genesis 32. He says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you said to me, hear that, O Lord, you said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. So here's what he's saying. God, you said I should go back here and that you would do good to me. And so he says, so please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me with the mothers of my children. And then again he says, but you said... I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for its multitude. You hear the way Jacob's praying? He's saying, look, God, Esau's coming at me, but you told me to go here. And so I'm letting my prayers to be God be shaped by what you said and promised me. I'm laying hold of you by your own word. All right, you keep going in the pages. You come to the next book, and you come to Exodus, a book we study together, and you come to Moses. And if you remember when we talk through Exodus in chapter 32, there's the scene where the people of God make an idol, and they give themselves to a golden calf. God is angry, furious. He wants nothing to do with Israel. Moses, if you remember, climbs up the mountain and begins to pray for God's people. How does he pray? Does he just try to figure out his own words? Does he try to plead for Israel on the basis of their goodness? Remember what Moses says. Let me, let me read you his prayer. He says to God, turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars in heaven. And he goes on, and then we read, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Here's what Moses does. Moses piggybacks on Jacob and says, I remember the words you promised him, and so you must be gracious to this people on account of your own word. We keep going. Another great prayer, perhaps the greatest prayer in all of Israel's history, was a man named David. And David writes the book of Psalms, or many of the Psalms, which become the prayer book for God's people. For ages, God's people have literally picked up the book of Psalms and prayed the Psalms. They've, they've not tried to create their own words. They've prayed God's word to God. And so when the psalmist is creating these prayers, where does some of the language that David uses in his prayers come from? As Moses piggybacked on Jacob... David piggybacks on Moses. And so, for example, in Psalm 103, in this psalm where he's blessing God, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. He goes on, and then he says, For you have shown your ways to Moses, and the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Hear that again. 
David says, Lord, you are slow to anger and gracious and abounding in steadfast love. Where did David get those words to pray that to God? In Exodus 34, when Moses was on the mountain, God revealed himself to Moses and he revealed himself saying, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And so when David needed to pray words, he prayed the word that he read. The word that he read became the words that he prayed. Perhaps the greatest, or without a doubt, the greatest prayer of all. The Lord Jesus, when he needed to craft prayers, where did he go? When you come to the story of Jesus in the scriptures, you know that Jesus loved his Bible, read his Bible, memorized his Bible, taught his Bible, preached his Bible, obeyed his Bible, lived his Bible, fulfilled the words of the Bible. And when it came to prayer, do you know where Jesus went to as well? When Jesus was dying on the cross in his last words, you know how powerful a man's last words are, right? If a dear loved one of yours is going to utter his last words, those words are going to be tattooed on your heart, seared forever. The last things he says to you. Well, Jesus' last words, as he's gasping for breath and life on the cross, in his dying words, where does he go to give vocabulary and words for his prayer. On the cross he says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Where did Jesus get that? In Psalm 22 verse 1, David said, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And so Matthew 27 records that in the ninth hour, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani?" which means, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Do you hear that? When Jesus was in his deepest anguish, in his hardest moment of life, when he needed words to pray, the word that he read became the words that he prayed. He prayed the scripture. And Jesus' disciples would carry that same practice. Luke 11, I won't go through it all, but they came to him, remember, and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus told them, when you pray, say, our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name. And this prayer that Christians have prayed throughout the ages, across the globe, throughout the ages, Christians have prayed Jesus' words back to God. And, and throughout the ages of church history, it's the same practice. I could point you saint after saint after saint. Let me just give you the example of one. There was a man named George Mueller. If you've studied Christian history, perhaps you've heard of him. George Mueller was this German man who went to Britain to start this orphanage. If you read the story of George Mueller, and I would commend that to you, to be encouraged in your own prayer life. If you read the story of George Mueller, here's this man who starts this orphanage, and he's got the equivalent of 50 cents in his pocket. That's what he's going to start this orphanage with. And his one commitment was that he would never publicize the needs of the orphanage because he was going to prove that God was faithful to prayer. That was what he aimed to do. He wanted to show for all believers that there was evidence that God heard prayer and responded to prayer. And so he never once published the needs of this orphanage. Throughout the years, as this orphanage grew to literally holding thousands of children, never once did he make known what the orphanage needed. And yet, as you read the accounts, I'm telling you, literally, at every meal is provided as an answer to prayer. 
You read the stories and they also sort of get blended together and you can't figure out which is which because every meal is a miracle of God. Literally, they'll go to bed at night, thousands of children to feed the next morning. No food, nothing in the pantry, nothing in the cupboards, nothing anywhere. And Mueller will spend the time in prayer and early morning there'll be a knock on the door and provision is given for a month. And then they'll run out at the end of the month and literally they'll come to dinner with nothing there. Mueller will go back to his prayer room, pray, and another knock on the door and provision for that meal. Meal after meal after meal for decades, not one meal missed. Historians have tried to calculate how much money came into this orphanage and they estimate millions. They're not sure if it's somewhere close to 7 million or 150 million. But the guy started with 50 cents. And yet, day after day, meal after meal, all the provisions of that place are fulfilled solely because he prays. All right, you hear that story and you go, how do I pray like that? Right? How does my prayer life even begin to look like a glimpse, like a shadow of that guy's? Well, I want to encourage you. George Mueller, in his autobiographies, went out of his way to say, there is nothing special about me. In fact, he used to openly say to people, I don't have any special gift of faith. He said, I have an ordinary grace of faith, and I take God at his word. And he said, I want you to know this because what's happened to me is available to all believers. And here's one practice of George Mueller that I would commend to us this morning. One of his biographers wrote this. When it was laid on George Mueller's heart to pray for anything, he would search the scriptures to find if there was some promise that covered the case. Sometimes he would search the scriptures for days before he presented his petition to God. And then when he found the promise with his open Bible before him and his finger upon that promise, he would plead that promise and so he received what he asked. He always prayed with an open Bible before him. Do you hear Mueller's practice? It's simple. He'd open the scriptures, and he'd have one finger on the scriptures, and with the other hand, he'd lay hold of God, and he'd say, God, do this because you said this. You see that? Here's your word, and I'm holding you to your word. And he would pray the scriptures to God. The word that we read can be the words that we pray. And it's not just an example. It's not just that Moses piggybacked on Jacob and David piggybacked on Moses and Jesus borrowed the words of David and his disciples have borrowed the words of Jesus. It's not just the example of people throughout the ages. Jesus himself commends this to us. I want you to hear one verse from John 15, verse 7. It says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Hear that again. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And like we said the very first week, it's another one of those promises that you go, is that for real? Did Jesus mean what he just said? And whatever else it means, here's what I want you to hear. What Jesus is saying is, God's word if it takes permanent residence in your heart, if it's lodged deeply in your heart, if it begins to transform who you are in such a way that it shapes your prayers, then all your prayers, shaped by God's word, will find their yes in Jesus. Let me give you an example. It'd be like 
hot water and tea. Here's what Jesus is commending to us. If you've got a boiling cup of hot water and you dip a tea bag in, if you dip it once, some streaks of that tea begin to fill. You dip it twice or three times, but if you let it sit there for minutes, that water is forever transformed and changed. And now that water takes on the aroma of that tea and the flavor of that tea, and that water will never simply be water again. And the idea that Jesus is commending to us is if my words abide in you, not a dip in the morning, but if these words take a a permanent residence in your heart, if they lodge in your heart, if my word abides in you so that you begin to and your prayers begin to have the flavor and aroma of God's word, if they're transformed by God's word, then when you pray these prayers back to God, they will forever and always be answered by him in Christ. The word that we read can become the words that we pray. God himself has helped our prayers by giving us words and vocabulary to pray. All right, let me close by just giving you a few examples of what this could look like for you practically. All right, so you're going to go tomorrow morning. You're going to open the scriptures. What might this look like for you in practice? What could it look like for you to pray God's word? As you come through different circumstances, as you pray for different things. I'll give you an example. When, you, when I meet a single person, the prayer I know to pray for them is that they would meet a good spouse, that they would get married, and that they would be happy. And that's a good prayer, and we ought to pray it. And I commend you to pray it. But what if I'm reading the scriptures, and perhaps I come to Psalm 63, the, the scripture we opened our service with, and said, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have beheld you in your sanctuary and looked upon your power and your glory. And because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Now what if I let the word shape my prayers? And what if I pray for that person, oh God, would you let so and so be their God? And let them earnestly seek you. Let their soul thirst for you and long for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Let them behold you and see your power and your glory. Let them see that your love is better than, than life and let them sing your praise. You see how that's a little bit different? The words that we read can become the words that we pray. Maybe you come across Psalm 73 and it says, Whom have I in heaven besides you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. And you go, God, would you let this person love you so deeply that every other desire of their heart pales in comparison and there's no one besides you? You, you can pray all kinds of prayers as you open the scriptures. That's different than God bless them and give them a good day. If, if you're praying for someone who's lost their job, as this has happened in our church, we might pray for them, God, would you give them a good job? Would you let them find a job this week? And that is a good prayer, one that I'm praying for some folks here, even this week, and I commend you to pray it and continue to pray it. But maybe you have an open Bible, and maybe you read Luke 12, and Jesus says, do not be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink. Consider the ravens of the air. They neither sow nor toil, 
They don't store in barns, and yet your Father provides for them. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't spin or toil, and yet they are clothed more beautiful than anything. And then Jesus says, If God so cares for the flowers of the field that are here today and tomorrow are thrown into the fire, how much more will he meet your needs? And so maybe you begin to pray, and it shapes how you pray for this person, and you begin to pray, Lord, provide them a job. And we know that you'll provide because you feed ravens and you clothe lilies. But don't let them be anxious about anything. Let them trust in you this week. Don't let them waver about what they will eat or drink. Let them be full of faith in you. You see how that's different? Maybe you pray Philippians for them. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplications, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so you, maybe you pray, God, give them a peace this week that passes all understanding. Guard their heart and mind in Christ Jesus this week. As you seek to try and pray for the church, all right, so maybe you're trying to pray for Seven Mile Road. You have no idea what to pray, right? Maybe you say as you hear these, I would never know to pray that. Me too. I wouldn't either. That's why God gives us his word, so that we might pray God's word even back to him. So you pray for the church, and since we don't know what to pray, our generic prayer is bless the church. Often bless is just code for, I don't know what to ask, so please let a lot of good stuff happen to these people, right? So pray that the church would be blessed. That's a good prayer. But what are the things we pray for? Maybe you pray that we'd give better and have good finances. Maybe you pray for good strategy and good leadership. I want to commend you to the prayers of the scriptures. Let me give you an example of some of the prayers that Paul prays. In Colossians 1 verse 9, this is what he prays for the church at Colossae. Here's his prayer for the church. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Here's what he prays. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. When's the last time your prayer looked like that? Look, I'm not saying that all of our prayers need to be thick, meaty, theological treatises. We can say what we want to the Lord. But what a gift that the word that we read can be the word that we pray. So what if you said, Lord, would you please let Seven Mile Road be filled with the knowledge of your will and give everyone spiritual wisdom and understanding. Help everyone at our church to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Let each person be fully pleasing to you. Let them bear fruit for every good work and increase in the knowledge of you. Let every person this week, today, be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. It's in your might that we're praying these things so that everyone might have endurance and patience with joy. That's different than give everyone a good day today. Let me read you one more and then we'll stop. Philippians 1 verse 9. Paul is praying for the church of Philippi. Here's what he says. It is my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. So pray. Pray, Lord, at Seven Mile Road and for other churches, for your people, would we be a people that abound in love more and more. Give us knowledge and discernment so that we could approve what's excellent. Help us to be pure and blameless all the way until the day of Jesus Christ. Help us to be filled with righteousness that doesn't come from ourselves, but that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. You see that? Maybe you hear that and you go, I would never think to pray like that. Neither would I. But the word that we read can become the word that we pray. Does God want to hear everything on your heart? Absolutely. Can you pray simple prayers to the Lord? Absolutely. Nothing I've said today is counter to that. Can you pray like a child? Can you come as you are? Is the Spirit helping you and bringing you to Christ and leading you to the Father? All of it is true. Can you speak to God as God's people do, freely from their hearts? Yes. But when you struggle to know what to pray, God helps you even there. Each morning, so tomorrow morning when you leave here and you open your scriptures, or at some point throughout the day, Read your Bible and pray the Bible. Pray the words that you read. And and take hold of God by his own promises. And I promise for us, it'll free us from boredom. It'll free us from repetitious, vain things that no longer mean anything to us. And it will give us a depth that comes from God's own word to us. Let these words... Shape the words of our prayers so that the word that we read becomes the word that we pray. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we give you thanks that you have revealed to us your own self through your holy word. We pray that today you would give to us a need for God and his revealed word and that you would take your word and shape our words to you by them that you would so saturate your word in our hearts and in our souls that it would that our prayers like our lives would carry the aroma and flavor of God's word and we would lay hold of you by your own promises to us we thank you for all that is ours in Christ Jesus that all the promises of God now find their yes in Christ. And by prayer, we add our amen to that. We lay hold of that which Christ has obtained for us. Draw us to him and to your word. We pray this today. In Jesus' name, amen.